here's something that um, you've probably not thought about. Today, more doors have been opened than on any other day earlier this year. Anyone opened a door today? Advent calendars, yes, right, yes. So um, my boys eagerly got me downstairs early this morning and said, we want to open our advent calendar there. They are 11 and 13, and they wanted their chocolate before breakfast. <laughs> my wife came back from uh, shopping uh, yesterday. She said, I've got a bargain for us. We've got advent calendars as well. I said, oh, great. A uh, special bargain. There's a tea bag behind every door. <laughs> I'm sure I should enjoy the different flavours, but it's not quite the same as chocolate, is it? <laughs> well, here we are, 1st of December. You've had your notices, and um, uh, we're already running up to Christmas, aren't we? So as we're in December and it's um, time to look forward to Christmas, I'm going to give you your first Christmas message. Is that all right? Yep. So uh, you, uh, you'd have to be a real Grinch, I think, uh, <laughs> to say, I don't want to hear it yet. Uh, my sister-in-law, actually, her birthday is on the 17th of December, so she doesn't want to hear anything about Christmas until her birthday has arrived. So we have to be very subtle. So we went around to see her this afternoon. My wife wore her Santa hat. <laughs> it is, of course, December, and it's Advent, which means that people are counting up towards Christmas. And um, the thing about Christmas, of course, is that schools do nativity plays. I've got for you three well-known phrases today and four words, four single words. Not, you don't worry, it's not kind of four long words from different bits of the Bible. Three well-known phrases and four words. That's what we're going to be looking at this evening. And we're going to start with Christmas. So here's the thing. Every child who wears a tea towel at this time of year has heard the first phrase. And the first phrase I've got for you is... Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill to all men. Everyone has heard that, I am sure. I am positive you've all heard of it. Because even when you were at primary school, if you had no contact with church whatsoever, you would have known that's what the angels said to the shepherds. But I wonder if you've ever thought why the angels brought that particular message. That's what we're going to be unpacking. So glory to God in the highest, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Just by way of a little secret, that is a phrase that only appears in English. Because when they translated the King James Version of the Bible, they came up with the word goodwill to all men, because they didn't understand one particular Greek word that appears in Luke. And they thought, well, that's probably the best translation we're going to get. If you look at a modern Bible, it says something like, peace on earth to men with whom God is pleased, which is a bit different, isn't it? Unfortunately, we're now 400 years down the line, and we're all well used to using goodwill towards men. So I'm not going to be pedantic about the Greek translation. I'm going to say, that's a good phrase anyway. And the reason it's a good phrase is because there are two elements to that. Glory to God in the highest looks at our relationship vertically. And peace on earth, goodwill to all men, looks at our relationship horizontally. So that's what we're going to be exploring today. Horizontal 
and vertical. How do we live out our Christian faith? What difference does it make? So first of all, that word glory. What does glory mean? Well, the dictionary definition of glory says... I'll have to turn around. That's too small for me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, that it can mean renown. It can mean honourable fame. It can mean distinction. Or it can mean praise. So someone gets uh, an award for, for being glorious in the battlefield. Or we, we say someone has, is full of glory because of what they've achieved. Or we sing glory to God. You know, all four of those things, the meaning of the word glory. Well, of course, the angels were saying glory to God. They weren't saying make God famous or full of renown. They were saying give praise to God for what he's done. And then that second praise, that second praise, peace on earth. Well, peace speaks for itself, doesn't it? When we look at Christmas, very often people will talk about 1914 when there was the famous football match between the English and the Germans, who decided that during that terrible conflict, the war to end all wars, joke or what, the war to end all wars, that on the one day when they wouldn't be shooting each other, would be the one when there was supposed to be goodwill between men. And there were a couple of football matches, but 100,000 men actually refused to engage with the enemy on Christmas Day 1914, because they said, this is a day of peace. And if you were to ask the average person in the street what Christmas is about, they might say, A, it's for getting presents, in it? But they might also say, actually, it's to do with peace and goodwill. So at Christmas time, people say we should be more peaceful, we should be more engaged with each other, we should give each other presents because we want to show love for one another. They might not know about the glory to God bit, but they know about the peace on earth bit. The baby Jesus that will be in little mangers up and down the land in nativity shows and nativity plays <coughs> is not necessarily connected with the grown-up Jesus in the mind of lots of people in this country. It's a shame, but we have to accept that that's the starting point. At least they hear about the Christmas story, and we have the opportunity of talking to them about Jesus as a result of that. That baby grew up, of course. Grew up, by the time he was 30, he'd started preaching and teaching, telling people exactly why he'd been born in a stable in Bethlehem. The angels had been telling the shepherds, the very first ordinary people to hear the good news, that they had to look up. That although there was this manger scene, it was connecting them with something much greater. And that's our job as church, isn't it? To help people to know that, that this Jesus, this man in history, actually helps us to connect with God in a profound way because he was God. So as he grew up, and started preaching and teaching, he had to tell people why it was he was there and what it was that God wanted them to do to live a life that he wanted them to live. And so, on one occasion, Jesus profoundly 
talked about what the Christian message is all about. And actually, he took his message from the Old Testament, because those were the only scriptures that were around at the time. So our second phrase comes in this passage. So we're going to read from Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. One of the teachers of the religious law was standing there listening to the debate. He realised that Jesus has answered well in the debate, so he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. How do you sum up the law of God? Jesus connected those two things. And the phrase that we're looking at there is, Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The phrase there is actually a Hebrew phrase. And the Hebrew says this. If you can go to the Hebrew, please. Anyone care to read Hebrew? <laughs> I've got not a clue with Hebrew. If, if it's written in Hebrew, I wouldn't have been able to read it. But here it is in nice English letters. Shema Yisrael Adonai Elohenu Adonai Ehad. That's our second phrase that we actually are going to cover. Not one that would have come to mind, I don't think. Because you're not Hebrew, you're not Jewish. But actually for Jewish children... If they're brought up in England and they speak English, those are the first Jewish words that they learn. We're going to come back to that. Let's look at another, another section of the Bible, because actually, if you were to say, what sums up Christianity? That sums up, um, in a part, that sums up the Jewish relationship with God. There is only one God, and the people of Israel are to look at him and focus on him as being the one God. And as a result, they love him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their strength, with all their mind. And they love their neighbour as their self. So if you were to say, what is the one word that sums up Christianity? You would say it is love, wouldn't you? No? Yeah? Love. Of course, Christianity wasn't the first religion to use that. It was the Jewish religion. But we've picked up on that because we love, uh, particularly at Christmas, you know, we are called to love each other and love our neighbour. Coming to that question of love, here's the third phrase. This is one that you'll all be able to quote at me. What's the most famous verse in the Bible? John 3.16, right, okay, so let's look at John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. Who's never heard that before? See? Either you've all heard it before, or you can't be bothered to put your hand up. What about 1 John 3.16? Watch this. 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Okay. So there is an interesting verse. 1 John 3.16. A new one for you to learn. Let me into a secret. When people quote chapter and verse at you, from the Bible, they only quote the bits they remember. Right? So if, you're, if you hear someone say, this is what the Bible says, and they can tell you exactly where they can find it, don't be put off by that if you can't do that. They only do the ones that they know. They don't know every single verse in the Bible. So you could learn one. 1 John 3.16 is a great one. Because, actually, it's got love in it, and it looks at Easter. So... 3.16, John 3.16 looks at Easter as well, 1 John 3.16. But it goes beyond. It actually says what we do as a result. So Jesus died for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Let's go back to what Jesus said in the Hero Israel bit. So, he says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. So he says, that's the most important commandment. That vertical relationship with God. Secondly, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. The horizontal relationship with everyone else. You see, if we focus just on God, then we lose the element of connection with other people. I don't know if you've ever heard, I'm sure some of you have. Some people say, I don't go to church because you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Anyone ever heard that? Well, of course you do. I mean, if, if you take that to its logical conclusion and everyone said, I don't have to go to church, and everyone stayed at home, how long would the church last? There'd be nowhere to have a wedding in, would there? There'd be nowhere for people to come to sing together. Imagine being in your living room and just trying to sing without the wonderful band. Imagine not actually gathering with other people to hear someone talk to you about what they thought about the Bible. The church would be dead in a generation. You do have to go to church to be... A full Christian. I, I would say, actually, you don't have to play in a team to play football. You can kick a ball against a wall by yourself. But how boring is that? So, Jesus says we have to connect with one another. He, he picked up those two bits of the Old Testament and put them together. Now, he wasn't the only one to do that. Because you can read elsewhere in the New Testament about a lawyer who says to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, what's the key? How do I get the prize? You know, with, how do I get the lottery win without buying the ticket? <laughs> what do I have to do? And Jesus says, what do you have to do? And he connects these two things as well. He says, we're going to love God. We're going to love each other. And Jesus says, you're right. 
just as this lawyer here says to Jesus, you're right. And, G and, and the second question, of course, he asks is, well, who is my neighbor? And he goes to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, the enemy of the Jews who actually helps a Jew in need. Who is my neighbor? Interestingly, in 1932, uh, there was a, a case at the highest court in the land, the House of Lords, which had to decide that question. And it involved a lady in Scotland who had bought, well, she hadn't actually bought it. Her friend had bought it, had bought a ginger beer bottle. But she had an added extra in that ginger beer bottle. As she drank it, she found at the bottom of the ginger beer bottle a free gift of the remains of a decomposed snail. And so she sued. She said, I don't want this extra. You know, it didn't say on the label, may contain bits of snail. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, the law at the time said, well, you can only sue if you're the person who bought the bottle. Well, she didn't buy the bottle. Her friend bought the bottle. And her friend hadn't drunk part of a snail. So her friend hadn't suffered any loss. So what was the problem? Well, it went all the way up through the court system from Scotland, right up to the House of Lords. And there was a, a law lord called Lord Atkin who had to decide. And he asked himself, who is my neighbour? He was a man of faith, clearly. Who is my neighbour? He said, anyone who could be affected by what I'm doing. Anyone who buys a ginger beer bottle expects to find pure ginger beer. And so the people who bottled that ginger beer had to be careful to make sure there was no added contaminants crawling their way into it. And so the neighbour principle is one that is enshrined in British law as well. But we ask ourselves, who is my neighbour? If we define our neighbour as someone who, the person we like, the person who lives next door to us, the person who shares our own culture, the person we work with, not the rival company, the person who supports the right football team. If we start defining people like that, then we lose that horizontal relationship. So, Jesus says, love God, love your neighbour. So those are three phrases. Glory to God in the highest. Shema Israel, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the third one is love your neighbour. Now, four words I said I had for you as well. And the four words come from that great prayer. Well, it's not really a prayer, it's a statement of faith. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And it goes on, and you shall love the Lord your God. The four words we're going to have are, with all your heart, with all your... <coughs> Sorry, next one. Head, with all your hands. Okay? So where's the fourth one? Here, actually, was the first one. <laughs> so here, first of all, here. I want you to listen to this, because this is crucially important. We hear, sometimes without listening, don't we? You know, there's all kinds of background noise, 
Sometimes I have three people in my house talking to me at once and I focus on the one who's shouting the loudest. And sometimes I am concentrating on something. I can hear some, someone talking in my ear, but I've got no idea what they're saying if I'm concentrating. I'm a man, you know, I can only do one thing at once. And um, I have to say, sorry, what did you say? Because I wasn't listening. But in this case, when it says here, I want you to listen. All right, it means listen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Hear. Love the Lord your God. That's the important thing. Now, we talked about goodwill at Christmas. And actually, when you think about it, people do think about Christmas being more than presents. So in our head, uh, in our head, we actually say, I am thinking about how I'm showing love for other people. So, for example, people have a secret centre in the office where they will buy a present that's appropriate for the person they can't stand simply because their name was pulled out of a hat and they're the person they've got to buy for. But it's the season of goodwill. So you've actually got to do it, haven't you? In your head, you will say... Oh, I've got to buy a present for so-and-so. I've got no idea what to buy them. Yeah? Anyone like me got nephews and nieces that you've got no idea what to buy them because they've got everything already? I had a conversation with my brother last week and I said, uh, what are you going to do for Christmas then? He said, well, he said, I know it's, you can't unwrap it, but money's so much easier, isn't it? <laughs> so... I said, yes, yeah. so I said, well, uh, it's my son's birthday this week, your son's next week, your, uh, and, and um, we've got Christmas presents for your son and daughter, for my two sons, and we worked it out, actually, he owed me £20, which is good, eh? <laughs> so he's sending me £20 on the promise that I will actually give some money and say, this is from your uncle. <laughs> In our head, we say, it's Christmas. In our head, we start off by saying, is there more to life than this? So actually, when we are saying we want to worship God, in our head, we have to accept that God's in control. Secondly, our heart. In your heart, you have to spend time with relatives who you can barely stand at Christmas. Because, well, blood's thicker than water and you've got to love them, haven't you? You've got to put up with them, whatever their foibles. <coughs> Do you know, you can only really love someone if you see them through God's eyes. I don't know if you've ever heard the, uh, the American, North American proverb that you can't really understand someone until you've walked a mile in their moccasins, all right, so in their shoes. My, one of my brothers said to me, he said, uh, of course, uh, you can only really have a go at someone if you've walked a mile in his shoes. Because then you're a mile from him and you've got his shoes. <laughs> and no one's going to run barefoot after you. <laughs> in your heart, you choose 
to forgive. In your heart, you choose to love. Yes, you have to engage your brain as well. But if we say goodwill is about being at peace with everyone else, actually, if there is someone that you've got a problem with, then you've got the problem. You can't change someone else. The only person you can change is you. So you change your attitude to someone else. And you focus on them. If you look at them through God's eyes, you see a child of God. You see someone who's had experiences in life that may have coloured the way they treat other people, that may give them a view on life that makes them cynical or angry or just plain obnoxious and selfish. But actually, in our heart, we can look at them as God sees them. But only if we're looking up to God. Thirdly, our hands. I say thirdly, it is our fourth word, begin with an H. Our hands. It's all very well, says James in his letter, short little letter, saying, do well. You know, you may be in, I'll pray for you. But actually, if we don't make a difference in what we do, we don't use our hands to change things. It's actually worthless. What this church is doing with the manor house is using your hands. In your head, you've said there's a problem. In your heart, you've said we want to love people. We want to show God's love. And with your hands, you're actually making a difference already. Official launch tomorrow. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, with a soft launch already, you know, people have already been impacted. People will continue to be impacted. And they be impacted not only by that, but what each of you do individually. What I do individually to show God's love for people, what you do individually actually is to do with bringing peace and goodwill. So when we look up vertically... And we give glory to God. If we just do that, we'd be no more use than the people in the Middle Ages who used to go up a pole and squat there and allow people to pass food up in baskets. They might pray contemplatively. They might actually, uh, you know, they might actually pray to God for the needs of the people. But they're relying entirely on God making the difference, which is good. But if we've got hands, then Jesus calls us to use them with him. You know, the church is not this building. The church is the individuals. We are bricks built into a body. And we can all do something to help God's work. If we don't look up and we just look outwards then what difference does it make to be a Christian compared with, say, a humanist? So a humanist will say, I love my fellow men. They might raise lots of money for charity. They might do all kinds of good things. They might say, 
I'm just as much a Christian as that person, even though I don't believe in Christ. <laughs> but, I, but they're doing nothing to bring the focus onto God. So those angels, when they came and said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men, they were actually saying there's these two focuses. If we want to live a life as God wants us to live it, then actually it's not about quality of life, it's about quantity of life. Quality of life you get by that good feeling of making a difference. Actually, it's great when you're living a Christian life and you're seeing the impact that you're having on people's lives, getting them to know Jesus, then that gives you quality. But people who raise money for any charity can have that kind of quality. The quantity comes in how long the lifespan is. And Jesus is the only one who brings us eternal life. You have to combine quantity and quality. God is up above us in some ways of viewing him. He's also within us. And he's within us through his Holy Spirit because we choose with our heads to follow Jesus and we give our hearts to him and we respond. About 30 years ago when I was um, training to be a preacher, I was asked in, it was an oral examination, I had about 25 preachers who could each of them ask me a question and um, <clears> the <throat> largest interview panel I've ever had actually. And um, one of them said, could you tell me what is the difference between Romans and James? And I didn't have a clue what he was asking me about. But what I did say was, well, Romans is a lot longer. <laughs> but what he was asking me to say was this, that faith and works go hand in hand. You know? If we want to prove our faith, then we have to have a horizontal relationship with other people. We have quality of life when we do that. But we also have quantity because of that baby in the manger. Because choosing to follow him and his death on the cross when he laid down his life for us means we can lay down our life for other people. What does it matter how long you're here for? Because we have eternity afterwards, don't we? So Jesus actually combined the vertical with the horizontal. He was God. He came as a man, but he was fully God. He came to show us that we can love other people and that our neighbour is everyone. And so we are called to also bring that intersection. As Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, fills us so we can show that upwards connection and that outwards connection. So, when you ask yourself, am I ready for Christmas yet? I've started opening the Advent calendar doors. 
we should also ask ourselves, am I ready for Christ? Amen.